Today's podcast is a talk with physician and author, Dr. A.J. Friedman. He has written a fun new book called Eating the National Food Day Calendar, in which he proceeds to eat and comment on the food of the day for a year. Before we hear the interview, I'd like to thank you for listening to this podcast. It is a privilege to have the opportunity to speak with so many people about food and drink and to share it with you. If you enjoy it too, please rate us and leave comments. Now, here's the interview with Dr. A.J. Friedman. It's on Tip of the Tongue. Tip of the Tongue, a podcast on the Nitty Grits Network, where we explore the intersection of food and drink and museums. This is Liz Williams. So we're here today with A.J. Friedman. He's a doctor and a writer and a curious person. So he's written a wonderful book called Eating the National Food Day Calendar, which has just come out. And uh, welcome. Glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here and honored that uh, you've included me in your podcast. Well, I think it's going to be a fun podcast. So first question, why or how did you decide to do this? I think it comes from several points that maybe are summarized towards the end, but my wife used to work as a uh, recovery room nurse for Dr. Calvin Johnson, who is a... uh, neurosurgeon and he would say you need something every morning for which to get up and so I'm semi-retired at this point and I was thinking I need something to do to get up every morning. So this was a project. It became a project yeah it's one of those situations where I'm looking around and I actually had read a book about somebody who had quote lived a year biblically Mm -hmm. and sort of followed what the Bible said to do for a year. And I said, well, you know, there's this National Day calendar, and I like to eat, and we in New Orleans love to eat and drink, and there's something celebrated almost every day. And I said, I'll just start following this. And once it got started, nobody stopped me. So when you say you were following it, you meant you ate the special thing on that day? If there was something on the National Day calendar that said, such as the first day of the year's National Bloody Mary Day. I was going to have a Bloody Mary that day. (laughs) And if it was a hamburger day, I was going to have a hamburger that day. And if there were several things celebrated on that day? I would usually pick one. There was some that were, you know, just off the wall, and I was not going to be able to find them in New Orleans, or I was going to take too much time. And so I'd pick and choose, and occasionally I'd do two things on one day, but most of the time it was I would pick one thing that I thought I would want to use. Okay. Okay. And so did you do any research to find out how that calendar had come together or anything like that? Okay. Yes, I did. All right. (laughs) (laughs) And actually, the National Day calendar is nothing but a business. And it's from up north, and you can apply. But at the moment, even if you look on their website, 
they say they're only taking applications to be put on the National Day calendar from businesses. So, it, you know, I'm sure a business is paying them X amount of dollars to get recognized, but a lot of television shows and radio shows, newspapers use this as some type of official calendar. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you may turn on the radio and hear, today is National Strawberry Day. Well, that's the strawberry pickers of America have paid to be put on the calendar. And I'm not sure how it all began, but this company now puts it on a calendar and, quote, it becomes a national day. Okay. And so you use that calendar and... So, all right, tell me, give me, like, the weirdest thing that you think you did. Well, I I'm just actually read it today. The weirdest one was Fluffernut. <laughs> and I have to look exactly what date it was. But Fluffernut really is a uh, northern dish. And uh, it's actually October 8th. And what's the page number? The page number is 193. Okay. And Fluffernut is some sandwich that was invented up north in New England, which includes marshmallow cream, and you put it with, I believe, peanut butter. Mm -hmm. And then Dr. Pam White, who's an anesthesiologist, said, oh, she used to eat that on potato bread. And as I said in the book, it starts with carbohydrates and sugars, and I felt like I'd gone into a diabetic coma. (laughs) And it must be something that you grow up with up north. But uh, it's National Fluffernutter Day, and I don't know who got that on the calendar, but uh, it was an adventure. Sure. I mean, you might as well at least take a bite. You don't have to eat the whole sandwich. Well, I did. (laughs) (laughs) I felt like I needed insulin after it. So (laughs) it was was not something I'm going to repeat. Right, right. And it's probably not the sort of sandwich you would make with, say, organic peanut butter without no. any. You you need to use a really whipped brand with all kinds of um, trans fats in it and all of that. Yes. <laughs> if you're going to do it, you might as well go all the way. That's exactly, you know, this is, this is not something that I would even recommend. Right, right. And so what was your favorite? I think my favorite was uh, Coquille Saint-Jacques, uh-huh. which we hadn't had in years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, it, you know, I don't know if it's a southern dish. It, you know, I know where it came from. And it actually came from New York. But it used to be on all the menus down here when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. And uh, my wife made it again. And I, I just love that dish. You know, it's just... A lot of the seafood that we have down here. Yes. And as I said in the book, I recently saw that it was on a menu down at the Pelican Club that one of our friends was eating down there, and he happened to take a picture of he and his wife eating down there with the menu. And there it was on the menu, and I was like, I haven't seen this since probably the 1950s on a menu. So do you think you'll you'll be eating it more often now? Or? Yes. yes. Yeah, well, I'll be eating it more often if my wife makes it. <laughs> But do you think she will? Yeah, if, if I ask her, she'll do it. And and so how did Debbie feel about all of this? Was she into it or did so, she just tolerate it? No, uh, what happens in my family is that I come up with a crazy idea and then everybody eventually gets on the train. Uh-huh. And I sort of start the 
motion of the uh, locomotive, and then everybody followed. So initially when I said I was going to do this, everybody sort of nodded their head like, oh, sure, go ahead, you know, whatever you want. But as the year progressed, of course, Debbie then was like looking ahead to see exactly what was coming up so that she would have all the ingredients to make something like Coquille Saint-Jacques. So, no, she got enthusiastic about it, probably more so than me. And then, of course, my friends got enthusiastic about it, (laughs) where they heard that I was doing it, and people like Phil Lorio would uh, text me or call me and say, oh, today's National Taco Day. Are you eating a taco? And I'm sort of like, duh, yes, (laughs) this is my idea. (laughs) You know, and then when I was having hamburgers or fried chicken, people like, you know, would just call me or text me and say, are you eating fried chicken today? And I'm like, yes, it's National Fried Chicken Day. <laughs> so it, it sort of snowballed mm-hmm. where every, everybody got involved, Debbie got involved, you know, everybody was sort of checking on me. So, so is there anything that you think was actually appropriate for the day itself? Yes, and okay. it's a mistake in my book. Okay. <laughs> uh, the, the one thing that comes to my mind is St. Patrick's Day, mm-hmm. where we have corned beef, and we have corned beef, cabbage, and potatoes, and carrots, which is actually an American bastardization because they don't have that in Ireland, mm-hmm. but we do. And they have it on St. Patrick's Day on the calendar. In my book, somehow or other, St. Patrick's Day got transposed to March 16th, not March 17th. But I only had one friend pick that up. Uh-huh. He called me and he says, I'm reading your book. Uh, you know, there's a mistake in it. <laughs> and I'm like, yes, I've noticed that. So I don't know how that happened. I don't know if I transposed the date or if when I wrote it up, I got ahead of myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can tell you from my own experience that you make so many mistakes and you've read it over and over and over again that you don't even notice them yourself. So you really need an outside reader. Otherwise, yeah. you just overlook things for sure. Well, and, and that's what happened with the book itself, that I had finished the book, sent it to my publisher. He sent it to somebody to edit it. Mm-hmm. They then, quote, sent it back to me, and I went through it again, and I found all of these little mistakes here and there. And then COVID came along, and he said after... We had gone maybe nine months with COVID. Mm-hmm. He said, well, I can go back and have those little mistakes changed, or we can just publish it as it is. Well, now it's three years later, and I'm like, just publish it as it is. Okay, right. I'm ready to get this over. Right, yeah, yeah. So how did you decide to turn it into a book? I understand it was a project to begin with, but did you think of it as a book from day one, or did that develop later? That developed later. No, that was sort of a serendipitous type of situation where I was writing everything down, like on day one where uh, it was uh, Bloody Mary Day. So I had my Bloody Mary and I wrote down where I was and how I had my Bloody Mary. And uh, then the next day was uh, National Buffet Day and I saw somebody eating, um, drinking a Bloody Mary at the restaurant we were at and I said, well, that was so yesterday. <laughs> you know, So I'm, I'm progressing along, you know, just sort of, writing it down every day because, mm-hmm. again, it's something to do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm at a dinner party, and I'm with Shannon Walgamont, and I didn't know he had a publishing company, Black Duck Publishing, and he's listening to me 
talk about what I'm doing because Joan Sheen, who knew I was doing this, said, what are we celebrating today? And I told her something wrong, and I had to go back, and, and then I explained what I was doing. And a few days later, Shannon says, let me talk to you about this because it sounds like something that ought to be a book and that it might be quirky enough that I'll publish this and that people will be interested. And then it took off from there. Then it sort of, he read the first basic half of the year and he said, when you're finished with the rest of the year, send it all to me. And he said, yep, I'll publish this. Well, and I like the fact that you've got recipes in there as well as comments and all of that. So, Yeah, uh, it, it, uh, it is sort of a, I don't know if you read, have anything by Rick Bragg, but we just sure. listened to his book mm-hmm. and it's called The Best Cook in the World. And he basically tells his family life story and each chapter has recipes that his mother used to cook. And not that I had read him beforehand, but that's basically what my book looks like on a much smaller scale and, you know, not as refined as his. And a lot of people, I, I showed my book to somebody and they said, we're going to try these recipes, you know? So I think a lot of people like to relate to food and recipes. Oh, I don't think there's any question about that. It's a way that you kind of get into somebody else's head when they share their recipes with you. Yes, and that's sort of leading me to what, if it ever comes about, what I'm going to do next. So (laughs) So can you talk about that? Well, I've thought of two things. And actually, on the way over here to this podcast, I'm thinking what I might do is change what I was going to do originally. And now I might come up with my ideal dinner party and ask people to send me their fate, what they think is their ideal dinner party from appetizers to dessert. So they'll send you the menu. And the recipes. And the recipes. Okay. Exactly. All right. So that, you know, I might say, Liz, I want you to come up with what you think is your ideal dinner party, mm-hmm. you know, and what your favorite recipes are that you'd put together and tell me why, you know, and then maybe quote interview you and you can tell me why you've come up with all these recipes and put that together. Mm-hmm. And it would be multiple people from different parts of the country telling me what they think their ideal dinner party would be. Oh, that would be really interesting. You could have people who think, well, my ideal dinner party would not only serve these things, but also they would have all these dead people who would be able to come to it because they might be really interesting, you know? Exactly, you know, and, you know, and uh, who knows that uh, this did not start out as a book and, um, a lot of people say, oh, I'm going to write a book. And, of course, they never do. Right. And so I'm thinking this is where I'll start. Mm-hmm. And then we'll see how it goes, you know. And Absolutely. Uh, after I get enough of it together, then we'll see if somebody is interested in putting it out. Right. So. And that project is not quite so calendar-related so that, um, you know, if you took three years to get this one published, um, it might take that long again um, just to get people because you know they'll promise that they'll do it and then they don't you have to go back to them and and ask them to remember that they promised to send things to you and all of that and that'll be taken care of because when I get a bone in my mouth like a dog Uh I don't let go of it (laughs) so if someone (laughs) says they're going to do it 
you're going to do it because you're going to want me off your case. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I I wanted to tell you one of the things that we have, of course, is the October 14th Southern Food Heritage Day that we made up here at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum. And we didn't go to National Food Day or anything like that. We just did it, and we just declared that that's what it was. And we did that for years, and I would see articles written about today is October 14th, Southern Food Heritage Day, as though it was really a day. And I kind of understand how it feels to make up a day and just put it out there because people are happy to accept it. We had all these rituals on Southern Food Heritage Day. You should prepare some kind of Southern food and share it with others. Not just prepare it for yourself, but actually share it with others. And we'd have people actually write to us and tell us what they had made and who they'd shared it with and all that sort of thing. So we even made note cards one year. Uh, that you could send somebody a recipe that and say, you know, here, we're sending you this or that. Well, and, and I think that speaks to the back of my book where I said, there's probably fake information in this book, which if you quote it, would then make it believable because you quoted it from a reference. Right. And so you've made up Southern Heritage Food Day. Southern Food Heritage Day. Southern Food Heritage Day and promoted it. And now people say, well, of course, this is Southern Food Heritage Day. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. October 14th is. That's right. Southern Food Heritage Day. That's right. And I'll know that from now on. <laughs> as will people who listen to this podcast, they'll be looking forward to October 14th. 14th. That's right. That's right. <laughs> well, I'm I'm glad to know that your next project is going to be food related also. So, are you particularly interested in food? Being from New Orleans, yes, I am. Okay. Um, you know, we love to eat here. Um, you know, and like this museum and it's dedicated to food and drink. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, comes from our New Orleans upbringing, that when Katrina hit, my medical practice basically was blown away. Sure. And for some reason, somebody let somebody on a national level know that I was one of the neurologists who had basically lost his practice, and so I was interviewed for what we call a throwaway medical journal. It was a newspaper, and... They, you know, asked what I was going to do and how I was going to handle it. And the final paragraph was what I had said, that on multiple occasions, while things were normal, my wife, Debbie, and I had talked about moving away from New Orleans. Mm -hmm. But when we thought about that, our conclusion was, but if we moved away from New Orleans, where would we eat? <laughs> and so we never moved from New Orleans because I don't know where we'd eat in some of these other cities. You know, I'm sure they all have wonderful restaurants, or some of them do. Mm-hmm. I lived in a little town in the year after Katrina called Waycross, Georgia. Mm-hmm. And 
Waycross isn't big. I think it's actually about 30,000. Although they told me it was 60,000. There were a lot of national chains like Shoney's and those type of places. And there were some, a lot of buffets like what we call the hungry heifer. Sure. But there were only two, quote, restaurants in the city. One was only open Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. And the other was open every night, except I lived there for one year, and the menu never changed. So it was an eye-opener, what we have in New Orleans. Yes. And I think a lot of tourists come to New Orleans because there is such a diversity of food and beverage down here. You know, and I think this museum speaks to that. Yeah. Yeah, it was certainly an eye-opener for me when I joined the military and I went to Fort Gordon, Georgia. And this is right outside of Augusta, which is the home of the Masters uh, Golf Tournament. And I went to, to dinner with some people and we went to a restaurant and I ordered trout almondine. Now, I didn't think, oh, there might not be any trout around here or anything like that, which I probably should have. And I received on my plate fish sticks with chopped almonds on them. Nice. And I thought, I am not in New Orleans anymore. (laughs) So it was Toto. I don't think we're in New Orleans anymore. That's right. Absolutely. So you are right. You're not going to eat well everywhere. That's well, true. And, and in Waycross, on this, at this one restaurant that I um, was talking about, the waitress came over and said, and with that dish comes a melody of vegetables. <laughs> and I didn't know if the vegetables were going to get up and sing or what they were going to do. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Okay, so let's get back to your book. Now, What when people buy your book, what are they going to find? What are they going to walk away with? Okay, so first of all, if they're going to buy the book, they might want to go to the Garden District Bookshop in the rink because it is there. You can go on Amazon, but uh, if you're local, perhaps you want to get it quicker. And what you're going to find is something almost every day of the year. I did not necessarily follow everything because sometimes I was out of town, sometimes it was a holiday, sometimes it was hard to find whatever it was that quote was to be celebrated on that certain day. Yeah, I particularly remember your quest for fruitcake and uh, it wasn't everywhere and you would think that you would be able to find fruitcake so easily. Fruitcake was either late January or early February. Well, you know, fruitcakes are in Christmas. Right. <laughs> but they put this in January or February. Where you have leftover fruitcake. <laughs> basically. I ended up going to the International Food Market, which is out in Metairie. I've had people ask me about that, too. And they don't even know we have an international market around here. Mm-hmm. But there is at least one. There may be a second one, I was told. But there's one out in Metairie. So what you're going to find is... If you turn to any particular day, and I'm just going to open the book, and I'm going to look at March 30th, and March 30th was Turkey Neck Soup Day. Okay, well, you're not going to find Turkey Neck Soup, so you're going to have to make that. Right. But, you know, there's 
lots of recipes on the web for making turkey neck soup. Uh-huh. Uh, and then let's look at June 7th. Uh, it's National Chocolate Ice Cream Day. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you could uh, get chocolate ice cream. So you're going to go through here. In fact, I have a friend who said he's not reading the book in advance, that he's reading it every day to see what is celebrated on that day. So what um, what do you do, for example, you have here... Um, I think I made a mistake buying Keebush chocolate wafers to celebrate July 3rd. But you don't, I mean, do you recommend that someone actually check the website of the company to see what's up on that day? Well, yeah, you can just go on uh, the Internet Uh and just pull up the National Day calendar. And to be honest, I think they may have changed them up, and I don't know if it's due to my book, (laughs) (laughs) because things that I now have, in this book from 2017, on a different day. Oh. So, and, you know, and maybe they've read my book, maybe they haven't, but I don't quite understand. You know, they'll say, well, this is National Donut Day, and they've picked two days that are National Donut Day, that it always falls the same day every year, like uh, I think it's June 30th is National Donut Day. There's a second National Donut Day. What... They didn't do, and there's a mint julep day. And my recommendation was, well, that's the Kentucky Derby. Everybody uh-huh. has a mint julep. On Ken- so why, whatever day the Kentucky Derby is, is that, you know, they could look ahead. Sure. Except for COVID, where they ran the, you know, yeah. on a different day. Right. But, they, you know, they could say whatever Kentucky Derby day is, is National Mint it's Julep Day. It's a movable feast. Exactly. Yeah. And so... If you actually want to check my book, all you have to do is go to the web and pull up National Day Calendar, and it'll tell you you can. There's several ways to look at it. It'll show you what today is. It'll show you what tomorrow is, and if you're web savvy enough, you can enter a few pieces of information. It'll tell you what the exact month. I do something for that I started back years ago. Um, when we had children in junior high and high school, my wife came to me one day and said, I'm tired of standing in the grocery at 5 o'clock trying to decide what's for dinner. I need your help. Mm-hmm. I said, that's no problem. So at the beginning of the month, I put out a calendar at our house that on day one of the month would have spaghetti and meatballs, and day two would have what I call lumberjack breakfast. On day three, we'd have leftovers. On day four, we'd have, you know, whatever, uh, Chinese food. Mm -hmm. You know, so that at the beginning of the month, she could tell me, she could look at the menu and say, okay, this week, I need to have a roast beef. I need to have a turkey breast. You know, this is what we're going to have. Then, you know, we did that for probably five to eight years. Mm -hmm. My daughter now has grown. She came to me three years ago, and she says, I need your help. I need you to do the calendar again. Uh-huh. So what I do is now I go on the National Day calendar, and I look at the entire month, mm-hmm. and I will pick some of those celebration days and put them on her dinner calendar so that, you know, if it's corned beef and cabbage day, 
on March 17th on her, what she's to cook for March 17th is corned beef and cabbage. Mm-hmm. The other side of that story, there were two things about making this calendar, this dinner calendar. When it first started, my son came home one Tuesday and my wife had fixed something for dinner and I don't remember what it was. He says, uh-uh, no, that's not on the calendar. <laughs> He said, meatballs and spaghetti were on the calendar. And I've been at school all day thinking about meatballs and spaghetti. He says, there'll be a new rule. There will be no changes in this calendar without a 48-hour notice. (laughs) But the second thing that happened was that I had put on the calendar, um, it wasn't veal piccata, it was veal masala. Uh And so Devi comes to me says, you've put on the calendar Vio Masala. I've never fixed Vio Masala. What am I supposed to do? I said, let me straighten this up, okay? I'm in development and you're in production. I have nothing to do with that side of the calendar. (laughs) So she got a recipe for Vio Masala and and That's what we it. had. Yeah. <laughs> she had to go out and buy the masala and, you know, but so as I said, I'll start a train. Uh-huh. I'll be the locomotion. Uh-huh. And then the cars have to just jump on and follow right. me. Right, right. And uh-huh. people are crazy enough that they do. And that sounds like a whole lot of fun. So thank you so much, AJ, for being here today talking about your book, Eating the National Food Calendar. And tell us again where you can get it. Locally, you can get that at the Garden District Bookshop in the Ring. You can't order it online. I did happen to just wanted to see. I called Barnes & Noble out here. And they said, yes, you have to pay for it in advance and we can get it for you and you can pick it up out here. You can get it on Amazon. But as I said, if it's local, just run on over to the rink. Okay. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to Tip of the Tongue. We come to you from the Camellia Bean Studio at the Southern Food and Beverage Museum in New Orleans, part of the Nitty Grits Network. For more information on today's podcast, join the Tip of the Tongue podcast group on Facebook. Please come by when you're in New Orleans and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. If you like it, let us know in the comments. This is Liz Williams.